Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie. Excited to have you with us this afternoon for another edition of Marnie's Friends. We're talking today about happy mom, happy wife juggling the roles of woman, wife, and mom, and excited to have you with us today. Our guest today is Ron Stope, and during the next hour, you are going to discover the number one secret to loving your family well, how to prioritize your life as a wife, mom, woman, and professional, ways to discover if you're a people pleaser, the critical component for strength in your role, the value of letting go of control, eight steps to making peace with your spouse, strategies to help your marriage survive your kids' adolescent years, how to help your family understand where you're coming from, and where to look for wisdom and help. Our guest today, Rhonda Stope, is a no-regrets woman. She's a pastor's wife, mother, grandmother, author, and speaker with over 30 years of experience dedicated to helping women build no-regrets lives. And her website is, in fact, called www.noregretswoman.com. Welcome to you, Rhonda. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, and I'm excited to have you here, and I am sad that you aren't feeling well today and so happy that you came anyways, so I'm glad you are a here. a little under the weather, but I've got a lot of people praying, so we're going to be fine. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, we are going to be talking today, coming up on Mother's Day here, about how to be a happy mom and a happy wife, and to juggle all the roles that um, we have. It's kind of funny. Yesterday, Rhonda, I was on a show on motherhood, and um, when I when I got there, they started asking me these questions. <laughs> so they had found your list of questions on my site, and they, that's what they asked me. And I was like, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay, let's think this through. So, but the, the reality is that they are wonderful questions, and um, it was really – it was really great to just recognize that we serve a big God and he teaches us how to do these things well as a mom. And um, I was glad they didn't ask me the eight steps piece with your spouse because I didn't have eight. (laughs) 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 Anyway, thanks for the list. (laughs) It was funny. Um, So what is the number? You've got a number one secret to loving your family well. What's a numero uno? You know, it's interesting because when the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus, what is the priority of life? And that word was proto, uh, protos. It means what's the most important thing. And I think if we would really just stop and ponder that the creator of heaven and earth and of relationships and uh, goals that he puts in our hearts to accomplish things that God wants to do through our lives, if he's going to tell us what is protos, what is priority, I think we should stop and listen. And I think all of us probably have heard Mark chapter 12, you must love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is what Jesus said. That's what he said was the priority of life. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with all of your being 
your heart is your emotions. And how do we fall in love with someone except by spending time with them? With our soul, that's what makes you, you. It's what makes me, me. Um, It's the part of us that's going to go to eternity to be with the Lord one day. And it's the part of us that God inspires to do those things that he puts in our heart to do. Um, With our soul, heart, soul, mind is our thoughts. And then our strength is with what we do. But as a wife, as a mom, as a woman, so often we love God with what we do. And we jump into the doing because there's an obvious result. There's an obvious outcome of the doing. Um, you know, everything gets done that you want it to done or it doesn't, and you beat yourself up because it didn't happen. But truly, we can't even love our family properly until we're loving God with all of our being like Jesus suggested. Then the second part of that commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, beginning with our spouse or children, our, our work, people who work around us, I can't even love them selflessly unless I'm pressing in to adore the Lord. And then Jesus promised my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's not just beating myself up that I'm not loving selflessly. It's being transformed by this adoration of my creator and loving him more and more. And as I do, it's just this natural outpouring of our lives that what spills out of us is a love for our family that doesn't suck the life out of them to give us our self-worth or measure up to our expectations. Our love can genuinely be for their good and God's glory. Mm, Absolutely. And as we move into the next uh, point, which is how to prioritize your life as a wife, mother, woman, and professional, I always teach this verse, uh, the one you were just sharing with us, and remembering how many times the word you is in that verse. You, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. But the key, is, the key is that if you are not receiving God's love to you personally, it's really tough for you to love others. Uh, it has to start. It has to start at home <laughs> in your own heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And truly, yeah. I was raised in the church. And I was raised to, to know this scripture that I shall love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And, and I would say, yeah, I love God. If anyone would ask me, of course, he died for me. He sent his son to purchase me for God's treasure. Of course I love him. But I knew in my heart of hearts that my adoration for him was not what God was calling me to. And every once in a while, you meet someone who straight up loved Jesus. And when we see those people that walk in that adoration for Christ, we, we have to take a step back, and then we either have to realize that's what God calls all of us to, or what I did for years was just say, well, they're just, that's just them. You know, that's just some, somebody, you know, one of God's, like, MVPs that he chose to walk into <laughs> Instead of really following a formula of um, loving right. him with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember when my signature on uh, letters changed. I used to always sign it um, in his service, Marnie. And then one day it changed, and I, I always sign it now in his loving arms, Marnie. And I'm still in his service. Mm-hmm. But that relationship, mm-hmm. you know, like what you're saying there, the relationship changed from me being a doer for Jesus to me being his lover and his flow through vessel, and he does it through me. Um, and it's just such a it's big difference. It's freedom. Yeah. Freedom. And if the sun shall yeah. set you free, you are free indeed. And we we put burdens on our own selves. And the question you asked how to prioritize our lives as a wife, a mom, a woman, a professional, uh, I think that 
the perfect example I can think of is Mary and Martha. And we all like want to beat up Martha because she didn't go sit at Jesus' feet. But, but I think all of us get the priority that she was saying, look, I got company. I got to make a meal. I got to serve everyone. It's Jesus. He's super important. I want this to be right. So she's in there, you know, making everything as perfectly as she possibly can, where Mary is like, I'm just going to go sit at his feet and soak up every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And as Martha is doing, she's loving Jesus by what she's doing for him. She's getting more and more disturbed that her sister's not helping. And then when she finally, and I know we all know this story, but it just so resonates with us. She goes into the says, <laughs> Jesus, tell my sister something. Like, don't you care? So not only does she question her sister's goodness, she questions Jesus' goodness by saying, are you kidding me? I'm in here, you know, making flambe and folding the napkins into swans. And Jesus is like, honey, throw something in a crock pot and get out here. Mary chose the better thing. <laughs> so we do need to take care of the needs of our families. We do need to, um, you know, fill the expectations we have on ourselves. And yet I think sometimes the, the expectations of how we want to do things takes priority over just sitting at his feet because then when he does through us, you know, the Bible says that, um, that he does through us exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. It's God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So instead of us giving God a list of, you know, amen, instead of us just saying, God, I just, wanna, I just want you to inspire me to do what you saved me unto before the foundations of this world, Help me learn to prioritize the time that I spend falling in love with you. And, you know, right away everybody's like, okay, i got to get up at 6 a.m. to do my quiet time. I get it. I know you're going to make me feel guilty. No, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I think when I was a mom and had little ones, I remember uh, if I would have had to get up extra early to do a quiet time, that just wasn't going to be in my, in my wheelhouse. I stayed up really late with my husband after the kids went to bed. That's when we had our time together. Um, but I, I learned how to just take bites and nibbles on Scripture throughout the day. Having that Bible study, being involved in a woman's Bible study, and then having those little tidbits throughout the day that you can look up a Scripture while you're nursing a baby and fill in one answer or just studying God's Word throughout the day. And asking God, mm -hmm. I don't want to just do a Bible study to check the box of one more thing. I want to spend time like Mary at Jesus' feet, and I want to be filled up with my adoration for who he is. Mm. Yeah, you're talking about busyness during the day, especially with young kids. And I remember when uh, our second child was born, and I couldn't get up earlier. I mean, I would keep getting up earlier and earlier, and she'd just wake up. No matter what time I got up, she'd wake up. And I finally just kind of threw in the towel. And it was like, okay, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm just going to get up when I get up. And I just, at that time, I just said, I'm going to give you the top ten. God, when, it, when I see ten minutes that I might have to myself today, like if they're resting or something, or watching, you know, some little thing, um, I'm just going to give you those top 10 minutes. And sometimes it would literally be 10 minutes. Other times it would be the whole two hours or whatever. And the thing was, it was so freeing to me uh, to just recognize that he was not demanding impossible things from me. But I, I like how he talked to Martha in that story. He didn't just go, Martha, you know, he's like, Martha. Yeah. Martha, <laughs> like I love you so much, and you're causing yourself so much pain here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's oh, where we God. are so often. Well, oh, and I think you. too, as a mom, when I stopped chasing after all of the things I thought were most important, 
and I determined to first be daily washed with the water of the word, I came to know a deep and abiding joy within my heart. And this is a quote from Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Regardless of how the day unfolded, when you determine to know Christ through the pages of Scripture, then God's peace, wisdom, and his joy spills out of your life and into your home. And we get so caught up in the captivity of activity. And it's good things. It's not, you know, oftentimes it's taking the kids to soccer and running, you know, I'm going to volunteer as the room mom, and I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that thing is that floats your boat, that we just get so caught up in them that, the time spent with the Lord takes a back seat. But, you know, Jesus said that the student will become like his teacher. So if we have little ones in the home, they're watching the way the, quote, normal Christian life is lived out. And if they see us just in the doing, then that's we're handing the baton to the next generation. John MacArthur says, Mom, right. are the architects of the next generation. I love that quote. And I hashtag everything that. If you follow that hashtag, it's all over my stuff. Because I think we forget, we want to preach at them, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But if they don't see us living by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And I think I kind of learned that as a mom, too, when I was trying to do my quiet time when my kids were napping, when they were at school, whenever I found they never saw mommy sitting in the word. So I would take out, like we had little precious moments coloring books for my little girl. That was her quiet time while mommy did mine. And, you know, I had the Donut Man video series, which I know they're so outdated, but I still just love the Donut Man. <laughs> and my kids <laughs> But it was like a treat to watch their little, you know, veggie tales or Christian whatever while mommy was doing my quiet time. That was their quiet time. And I would tell them, don't interrupt mommy because mommy's spending time with Jesus. And, and Jesus is going to help me be a kind and loving mommy the more time I spend with him. Because I think when they see, I know the mom I am without Christ. I know the woman I am when I, when I forsake spending time sitting at his feet, asking him to wash me with the water of the word. And I want them to know this is your lifeline as a believer, as a, as a woman of God, as a man of God. If you, if you uh, are too busy for this, you're too busy. So you have to figure out, and I love what you said to me, and if, if listeners don't leave with anything else, give God your 10 minutes. The most amazing, uh, effectual prayer in the Bible is Jesus' prayer for us. And I think if you read it out loud, it's all of three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying, and you know, just modeling this in front of it was um, Elizabeth Elliot, who, when my kids were little, I had heard her say, you know, if you're just always praying to God in your thoughts all through the day, you know, you just arrow prayers and just, you know, praising or whatever, your kids are never seeing that. You have to sometimes do it out loud. And I remember Rhonda when I started doing that, they'd be like, "Who are you talking to?" <laughs> but it was great, and they they actually they actually didn't they actually didn't have a clue that I was communicating with God all day long. Until I was willing to sometimes do it out loud. So I love that modeling. I love that idea of having your child sit with you at the same table, whatever, while you're doing yours. I never did that, and that was a really great idea. We're going to come right back and talk about ways to discover if you're a people pleaser, the critical component for strength in your role, and also the value of letting go. We'll be right back. There is a huge difference between working for God and allowing God to work through us. My latest book, Flow Through Vessel, explains how to master the habit of letting God flow through our lives. When we try to do everything good for God, we quickly fail. But when we learn how to allow God to flow His life and love through us, we find strength for the day. 
Check out this new Bible study resource at www.marnie.com. That's www.marnie.com. Welcome back. This is Marty, and we are here this afternoon with our guest, Rhonda Stope, the No Regrets Woman. Rhonda, we are talking about how to be a happy mom and how to be a happy wife and how to juggle all those roles of wife, mom, uh, woman, worker, volunteer, all of that. And one of the things that we can get really messed up with is um, when we try to please everybody. Talk to us about being a people pleaser. Well, I think when I was the mom that I didn't want to be, because I think we all get to that place, and I think Dr. Eggrich is the one that says that during these 30s, they call it the unfriendly years for women. Um, I think I identified with that, the unfriendly years. You're, just got, you're, you're operating on very little sleep. You're not eating right. You're in survival mode. You're trying to please everybody in your family, trying to get everybody where they need to be and do everything that they need to do. And it can make us just be unfriendly to our spouse, to our kids. You know, we may put on a smile when we go to church or we go out in the public and everybody thinks you're that happy, kind person, but your kids know who you really are. And that's even a form of people-pleasing as you're putting on this pretense out there. Your kids see that. And I know that in 18 years of youth ministry, my husband's a senior pastor for the past 17 years, but he was a youth pastor for 18 the number one thing that drove kids away from the church after they graduated high school was hypocrisy in their Christian homes. And I know that we all have, you know, we're not perfect and we don't live perfectly, but if we would realize these kids are watching us and if we're saying, you can't wear that to church, what will people think? You can't act like that, what will people think? We're really teaching them to succumb to people-pleasing. And, and really that's just peer pressure. It's just another form of it in an adult form, you know. It's like because we want them to do good things. I want you to do your homework because what's your teacher going to think of me if you don't do your homework? work. Uh, And so finding, I needed help and I knew that I needed some insight. So I looked around at the moms of the kids in our youth ministry and I found the moms whose kids really liked them, wanted to spend time with them, enjoyed them, (laughs) wanted to follow, you know, that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, your kid likes you. Can I hang out? Cool mom. (laughs) I did. Yeah. And not, and, and some of them were even that cool. They were just genuine. And their kids loved their moms and their dads because there wasn't this pretense that was going on. You know, a lot of times, oh, if I could just address this for a moment as in ministry, people will say, love you, sister, and they get in the car, and as they drive away, they start talking, gossiping about everyone that was at church. I can't believe they let their kids wear that. You know, I didn't like what the pastor said. And we forget that those little ones in the back, we're turning their hearts away from the body of Christ. Jesus said they will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. And if we are not loving Christ properly, it will be evident in how we hold others to a standard expectations and we don't love them with his selfless love. So I looked at these women and asked them for help. And what I loved about them, these women helped me understand we're not trying to raise perfect children. We're trying to raise children who know how to recover from their mistakes. And that comes out in me showing my kids when I sin. You know, I'm on the phone and I'm gossiping. My three-year-old standing behind me when I hang up. I tell that three-year-old, 
mommy just sinned. I did something that God doesn't want me to do, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I need to call my friend back and ask them to forgive me because that was wrong. And I think the more that we live in a genuine, that's really the real Christian life, is we have a desire to live in obedience, and yet we make decisions that are sinful, let's call it sin, and we repent and we ask whoever we need to ask to forgive us if we have wounded them, and then we we get back on track. And I think living in that way is really good for our kids. So when my daughter Meredith was about four years old, she was my oldest, we have an older son, Tony, that didn't come to our family till he was 15 years old. So Meredith was the oldest for quite some time. And when we were in a church in the Bay Area, Meredith, after church, was skipping around making noise. And I remember this one couple that we had asked to mentor us. Um, he heard me shushing Meredith, trying to keep her quiet. And he said, is there, is there a reason you don't want her to make noise in the sanctuary? Do you have conviction about that? It's after church. Or you, you know. And he pressed me until I said, because I don't want people to think I'm a bad mom. And he said, Never raise your kids for what people think of you. And I know in my heart of hearts that that one message that I got from these amazing uh, people that raised some great, incredible kids, that that set my children free from me, the middle child that I grew up wanting to please everybody, I would have raised them to be people pleasers, you know, make me look good by the way you act, dress, you know, all of that. And I would have ruined my kids. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it's so important and to be really congruent and in integrity. What you do out with other people is what you do when you're at home, and that all of this is done before Christ and with the great grace. I, I love that it's His, it's His kindness that leads us to compa- to uh, repentance. That's that's the way Jesus does, and we get to model that with our kids. So great. Well, talk to us a little bit about you. You mentioned a critical component or strengthen our roles? What is that? Well, what I was going to say at the end of the people-pleasing that I needed to just wrap it up is that we have to be willing to live in community with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. And as, you know, this person, Vaughn, was able to see what I couldn't see for myself. You know, when we invite people to step into our lives, then we can't get offended when they try to help us. And so having, uh, you know, God says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as much as the habit of some, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And I know that there is a whole community of moms and women out there that are missing church because they're taking their kids to soccer, on, you know, playing soccer. I guess I've got to say right now, Marnie, if every Christian mom said my kid will not play soccer on Sunday morning because he will be in church, I guarantee you that they would stop playing soccer games on Sunday mornings. They never used to do that. But I'm telling you that we have got to live in a community where we're inviting people to speak truth into our lives so that we can even see ourselves from the perspective that's not just, you know, excusing our behavior. And now you're going to have to remind me what question you just asked me. (laughs) (laughs) The critical component for strength in your role. (laughs) You know what? Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when did Nehemiah say that? He said that to the children of Israel when they were free to come back from where they had been in captivity to rebuild this wall. And as they were rebuilding the wall, the, the, the uh, king had written them permission to go and do this. And as they were working, there was a community that was coming against them and telling the king lies about them and, and wanting to destroy the work that they were doing. And so with a, with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other to keep themselves safe from the onslaught of the enemy, they built this wall in record time. It was an incredible feat. 
And yet when, when Nehemiah knew all of this that was coming at them, they were physically exhausted. They were trying to get this wall built in a certain amount of time. They were emotionally worn out and discouraged from what was being said about them that just was not true. And then they were probably fearful that these enemies are going to come at any moment and attack them. So as that's all going on in their life, Nehemiah comes with a game plan. He comes with, with a battle, battle cry. And he doesn't say, okay, I have to do this. He says, this is, this is the key. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And in reality, we live building a wall with one hand. You know, Jesus says that um, we have to build our house on the, on the rock and not on the sand. And as we're building our home and our children and our foundation of our marriage and our families, uh, and maybe you're a single mom and you don't have a husband and, and we're talking a little bit about marriage, don't tune us out because there is still so, uh, so much to relate to what we're talking about today. But as we're building this home with one hand, we have a sword of the word in our other hand to battle off the onslaught of the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy these precious babies that God has put in our care. And the key is the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when I get weary, I have to fight for joy. I have to realize that, uh, you know, I just ride the roller coaster of my emotions and my discouragements because God let yet another trial come my way, and why me, and why is, you know, why is it always us? If I live in that place, it will steal my joy. It will rob my joy, and not ha- I won't have the strength for the battle that, that lies ahead. And I'll, and I'll give you a little secret uh, when you laugh in your family, when your kids see you laughing, it creates this joy in your home. And I know that, you know, moms, we get, we have a couple of kids and we work full time and we take care of business and somebody spills their milk at the table because daddy told a funny joke and we're like, oh yeah, funny, now I have more work to do. And we put up, you know, just throw a wet blanket on whatever, you know, fun the family's trying to have. And I get it. But we need to put sippy cups <laughs> on, those, on those tables. And we need to realize that, you know, those jokes that your husband told when you were dating that you LOL because it was so funny, you were gracing him with your laughter. You were actually respecting and honoring him with your laughter as he attempted to, to bring humor into your life. And see, the, the element of humor that it makes it funny is the, um, the element of surprise. So when your husband says that punchline when you were dating, you didn't know what he was going to say. By the time you've had a few kids, you know exactly what he's going to say. So you're not laughing. But be the mom, be the woman at the office, wherever you are, that just embraces laughter and just genuinely laughs. And, and you'll do yourself a favor because when your kids grow up, they, will, they won't be able to wait till they can bring their college friends to spend a weekend at home with mom and dad or when their kids are married and they've got to bring their grandkids home. They can't wait to all be together and they can all just have a weekend of laughter. That doesn't begin when they're in their 20s. It starts now when they're still in your home. Awesome. This is Marnie Sebert visiting today with Rhonda. So we're going to come right back and talk about the value of letting go and eight steps to making peace with your spouse. We'll be right back. ready to experience your best life possible and share biblical success principles with others? Register for the SPI Coach Certification Program today. SPI, or S-P-I, stands for Success Principles Intensive. It's a six-hour online program that equips you to fully comprehend and train biblical success principles. You can check it out today over at Marnie.com. It's available as part of the mentorship program, or you can buy it as a standalone certification program. Learn more now at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. 
Welcome back. This is Marty, and we're visiting today with our guest, Rhonda Stope of NoRegretsWoman.com. Rhonda, I wanted to just pause for a moment right here in the middle and thank you for your great friendship over the years to us at uh, Marty.com, WomenSpeakers.com, Bible Study Expo. You have been involved in so many ways. So grateful for your life and your ministry and that you could be here with us today. Thank you for coming. Thank you, and I'm so grateful for your ministry, Marnie. You just have meant the world to me, especially when I was just kind of, my first book, Moms Raising Sons, to be then published in 2013, and I was just kind of, you know, getting my feet wet, and you just walked me through a lot, and you mentored me greatly in a lot of your podcasts and a lot of your one-on-one mentorship. You've just been very helpful. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you. Well, your next point is one of my favorites. It's the value of letting go. Before I let you talk about it, I just want to, uh, reminisce for a moment about when I was uh, feeling very much necessary to the mix when my kids were younger and all this responsibility and um, you know uh, I was you know pretty pretty powerful <laughs> in my own mind as a mom and um, I remember God just just kind of sitting me down I remember one day just in my spirit I understood you know I could do this without you and I thought, well, how could you do it without me? I mean, I'm their mom. How could you possibly do it without me? And he's like, no, no, Marnie. You know, you know mothers who have died, and I have raised their children another way. I have brought in another woman, or I have had the father raise it, or the grandparents. I don't really need you. This is a privilege. This is not a burden. And it changed everything for me, Rhonda. It, it really, I really took it to heart, and I realized that I was trying to control everything, and it was killing me. Yeah, and there's there's actually a section in my book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, called Control Freaks Raise Freaks. <laughs> I think we are doing the best thing for our family when we when we get in there and try to control everything. When we are telling our family, this is exactly how it needs to be done, and if you don't do it my way, basically it's my way or the highway is kind of what we're thinking. But I honestly, I think a lot of time controlling people don't even realize the damage they're doing to their marriages, to their children, to the relationships with people around them. Um, a lot of times people that are, are uh, and I think birth order has a lot to do with, with someone being a controlling personality. I think as a mom, you kind of can watch the birth order of your own children and, and kind of see how that bent is rising up in certain kids. Uh, but I think when we are trying to control everyone around us, it really speaks that we're not trusting in God's sovereignty to take control. Uh, and we might say things like, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I raised, you know, whatever. But what it really does is it drives our family away from us or it makes them walk on eggshells. Uh, if they want to, to do something that's not something that's going to have your approval, uh, they'll do it behind your back maybe or as they're adults, they'll, you know, suck it up. We're going to go to mom's house. Mom has her own way of doing things, so let's just not make any waves. Just do it the way grandma says, and when we get done, we'll go back to our own life. Instead of just really taking a good look at ourselves and saying, why what is my need to control? What am I idolizing that is in my life that I need to control things? And I think, you know, a lot of times there's good things that we want to do, but when we sin to get those good things, we can know we've made it an idol in our life. And so it's really, you know, Psalm 119 is my lifeblood. I'm, I'm memorizing it. I think I have 52 or 53 verses of Psalm 119 memorized awesome. right now. Uh, but it's a great place to just start, handwrite a stanza of it, pray it back to the Lord, 
and genuinely ask the Lord, you know, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I just love all of the, the scriptures. It's like you're begging God. I don't want to just read the word. I want you to show me myself. You know, is it James that says someone reads the word, looks in the mirror, and walks away? You know, it's like I have these whiskers mm-hmm. on my chin. I just turned 56 years old, May 1st. I've got these crazy whiskers <laughs> on my chin. And I have a 10 times magnified mirror in my bathroom that I every day, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then kind of gray, silver, and so I can't even see him. So once in a while, I'll tell my husband, like, babe, I cannot believe you did not even tell me that whisker was there. And he's like, honey, I didn't see it. Well, he's 62 years old. The good thing is that when you stay with the husband of your youth, as they get older, God, like, makes their vision kind of misty. And you look amazing in your eyes because they just see you in a filtered lens. <laughs> And he doesn't have the 10 times magnifier either. That wasn't going for him. No, he does not. And he tells me, why do you look in that thing? And I'm like, because I can't see. <laughs> and yet, it would be ridiculous for me to walk away without wiping, you know, pulling that little hair out of my chin. In the same way, I think as James is saying, we look in the mirror and the scripture will maybe show us, you know, something about being controlling or fearful or anxiety is huge and, um, you know, people-pleasing and all of those things that fall into our, our, our world as women, as moms, and how do we balance out to know what am I doing that's for God's purpose and God's glory? What am I doing for my own glory? You know, Isaiah says God created us for his glory. Jesus said whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. And yet when we... Um, stop and think about what that word glory means. It means reflects his character. It means live in a way that your life is going to reflect the character of Christ to draw others to know himself. And I think if we stop and realize the priority of our life is to know Christ intimately and make Christ known in this generation, I think if that would wash over us and we realize the priority of life is really not to have a Pinterest perfect home. Our, uh, the priority of life is really not to raise kids that get into an Ivy League college. We want to raise kids that want to love Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's really until we're being washed with the water of the word transformed by the renewing of our mind, like Romans 12 says, we're going to excuse our controlling bent or our people-pleasing or anxiety or, or whatever we're doing out of fear um, but if we're washing with the water of the word, as these older women taught me, when I reached out for them to be mentors, they invited me to a Bible study. And as the word of God began to transform my thinking, I was no longer being conformed to the world's image of what a good mom, wife, woman looked like. But as I studied the word and the mind of Christ began to develop in me and I had a biblical worldview, then it says, you know, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So as a mom, as a wife, as a woman, you know, am I going to take that job? I remember I took a job in San Francisco one time and had to take the train from San Jose to San Francisco. I left at, like, I don't know, 3, 5 in the morning, didn't get home until 7 at night. I didn't seek the Lord before I did that. It just seemed like a really good idea at the time. I was miserable. But as the word of God is transforming us, then he gives us his perspective and I, I can't remember where the scripture is found in the Old Testament, but it says that you will hear a voice behind you saying, here's the way, walk ye in it. As we wash our minds of truth, those things that we're controlling, God can grip our fingers to let go of. And you're right. Moms in scripture, there was a lot of them that didn't get to raise their sons because, because God took them out of their parents' home and did a work in that son uh, in, without the mom being in the picture. 
Well, and it wasn't, I, and it wasn't that they were bad moms either. You know, I think the Moses was on. She did a great job, but it just he was just using that as yeah. a point for me. Let's go ahead. This hour is flying by. Let's go ahead and talk about the eight steps to making peace with your spouse because sometimes, you know, what I like to tell uh, younger married women or even sometimes older married women who haven't learned this yet, tide comes in and tide goes out, and tide is not always going to be in in your marriage. When tide's in, I'm happy and feeling loved and, oh, my goodness. And then Ty goes out and it's like, oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. And, you know, it is the cycle of life. And sometimes we have pushed the tide out <laughs> or there is something that we can do to make that tide come back in. So talk to us about eight steps to making peace. Well, a lot of times what steals our peace is when we don't feel happy, when we don't feel like uh, my spouse is measuring up to my expectations. A quote from my book, If My Husband Would Change, I'd Be Happy, says this, and I'll let you in on a little secret. Looking to your husband to make you happy is an unfair expectation, and he will never bring you true joy because the purpose for which you exist is not to find happiness in your marriage relationship, contrary to every fairy tale that we have ever heard. You were created to delight in your creator. God actually made you to long for intimacy with him, to delight in him. So any other relationship that you pursue to fill that void that only God can fill will always come up short. And in the same way, you can never be your husband's source of joy. And that goes for parenting also. Sometimes if, our parent, if, if we're a single mom or if our husband's not measuring up to our expectations, we turn to our kids to give us a sense of worth. And when they let us down, it steals our peace. It makes us uh, want to argue. It makes us want to, whether you give them the silent treatment or whether you, you know, go at them and fight with them, whatever that thing is, it's, it robs the peace in your home. And, and the true thing is it's, there's no argument worth winning to sacrifice the peace in your home. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so eight steps to making peace. Number one Admit that you have a problem. Stop saying I'm fine when it isn't. So those of you that are the silent treatment, you know, your husband comes home, he's like, what's the matter? like, nothing. No, really, what's wrong? I'm fine. And you go into the kitchen, and he goes and sits down and watches TV, turns on the clicker. He, he's thinking, I asked. You didn't say anything. And that's my get-out-of-jail-free card. And then the longer he doesn't ask anymore, the more that silent treatment and that bitterness and that resentment towards whatever situation starts stirring in you. And whether there's an argument in the home or whether everybody just knows mama ain't happy, so ain't nobody happy, there is definitely an underlying robbing of the peace because of what's going on in our thoughts, in our minds. So as we admit we have a problem, then we have to ask God, you know what, I want to take these thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. A good, right, honorable, praiseworthy, that's what... Philippians says, Paul said, think on what's good, that we have to argue with our own mind. I will not think those negative thoughts towards myself, towards my children, towards my circumstance of life. The next one is acknowledge your sinful bent. On the onset of disagreement, are you willing to ask yourself if your bent toward trying to control the situation is the root of the conflict? Will you yield your self-will to God's plan for your marriage, for your life, and will you ask God to help you? And, you know, you kind of talked about the tides a little bit. When my youngest child was born, I was 29 years old. 
And I had postpartum depression after her. I'd never had that. I had never had any hormonal issues or anything. And I remember being a wreck for a few months. And then after, and a little short story, if you read my book, If My Husband Changed, I'd Be Happy, we had moved into a one-bedroom cottage in the country. We lived on a generator for two years. It was our our little house in the prairie period. And and so I was sleeping on a sofa bed. I mean, so there was a lot in it besides just the postpartum. (laughs) But... I, after I stopped nursing Kayla, I was left with really severe PMS, and it was rough, and I had never had it before. And I remember, in fact, Steve and I were just talking about this yesterday. He was saying it always surprised me that you didn't see it coming. Like you didn't know every 28 days you were going to turn into this person. And every, I think I would lie to myself every month and say it's going to be okay. But I remember when I was trying to help Steve understand, because he said, you know, I've known you since you were 14 years old. You're not you anymore. How can I help you? I don't know what to do for you. Um, And I told him this story, and this actually kind of goes with one of the questions that we were going to talk about, how can you help your family to know how to help you in word pictures. I gave my husband a word picture. I said, imagine if you were a werewolf. And every 28 days, you were going to turn into a werewolf, and you were going to eat whoever was near you. Even if it was your young, you were going to eat them. And the only hope you had was if someone would lock you in a cage till the full moon passed so you didn't hurt anyone that you cared about. I literally saw a light bulb on the top of my husband's head. He got it. He understood, and he, he said, okay, I know what to do. He couldn't fix me, which, you know, our husbands, when they see us in that fragile state, they want to help us. But he knew he could take the kids and take them outside. We live on a ranch. He could, you know, keep them outside as much as possible. He could help me not say yes to people that wanted to come up and spend the weekend. Um, But that word picture, after I had had this struggle for years of being this person that I wouldn't lash out, I would get real quiet. Um, But it just depends on which way, you know, that that it just I would pull in. But it's disappointing in your own self because you know that, the hormonal imbalances are not the sin. The sin is in what I do with the hormonal imbalances, how I re- react to people. Um, and I actually went to a doctor, an endocrinologist, and I strongly advise if you're struggling with that to go get help over uh, that hormonal imbalance that, that might, you might need to talk to somebody who's a professional. The next point is to refuse to be argumentative. Proverbs 27, 15, mm-hmm. the contentious woman. First uh, Corinthians 13, love does not insist on having its own way, nor is it irritable or resentful. And honestly, resentment kills our marriage. It kills our family unity. Uh, And honestly, this is the thing that even quenches the spirit in our own lives to where we can't walk in love with Jesus. We can't have that joy of the Lord with our strength. We can't even be passionate about Christ or making Christ known in this generation because we're stuck in some little resentment, that root of bitterness that's finding its way and gripping our heart. And rather than having the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control, the only fruit on our line is sour grapes. And nobody wants to, you know, be drawn to us, even our spouse. So we have to be willing to ask the God, ask God to search me and know my heart. Is there resentment? If there is, God, even if it's something, I talked to a woman the other day at an event that I was speaking at, and her husband left her with her two kids, and very painful circumstance. And yet when we let resentment build in our hearts, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. And the sin of resentment is going to rob from me the power to pray that I need effectually for my children, for the situation, maybe for even conviction over the person that wounded me. Uh, and I think just in everyday life and in, in marriage, resentment is what chips away at the fiber of some really 
great marriages and it can be years of that and then they just one day get a divorce and there's not really any one issue. It was just that unforgiveness that turned to bitterness. The next point is uh, number four, make peace a priority. As much as it depends on you, dwell at peace with all men. Number five, pray without ceasing. That's what we talked about in James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes. Ask God to help you make your home a place of peace and ask him to help you be a person of peace. Uh, Number six is forgive your husband as many times as necessary. Matthew 18 talks about 70 times seven. And I feel like I have to stop for a half a second and just talk about pornography because that is where I'm finding a lot of women are stuck in resentment towards their spouse is that they know he has an addiction to pornography and they don't understand why he just won't stop, why he just, for her sake, you know, if he loves me, why won't he just stop? And one of the word pictures that I give is imagine if you had 20 pounds to lose after your last baby and you asked your husband, you know, will you help me, you know, lose the weight, keep me accountable, healthy food, yada, yada. And one day he walks by the freezer and you're like chowing on some Ben and Jerry's in the dark, you know, and he comes by and he goes, Moo, does that draw you toward him or does that make you resent him? Does that send you to your closet to eat Twinkies? In the same way as a husband who has grown up maybe with an addiction to pornography from the time he was in junior high, which is so often the case in the 30-something men right now, um, they hate it. My husband counseled with men. I know men all over that they hate it, and they promise they're never going to go back, and they do. A good man with a good heart, especially if he's got the Holy Spirit in him, they feel conviction and shame after they go back to that computer again. And why think I can shame him into stopping instead of realizing my husband's craving my respect? And so if I go to him and say, hey, I believe in you. I believe you're a good man. I believe you hate this as much as I do. And I, I have forgiven you. I will forgive you 70 times, seven times. And I am going to pray for God's spirit to give you strength and to lead you to another man that can help you with this battle that you're struggling with. Uh, I, my new book for Harvest House, that won't come out until January. I just finished writing it. It's called Real Life Romance. And one of the love stories is Chuck and Angie. And Angie was a virgin when she got married. So was Chuck. After they married, she realized he had an addiction to pornography. As a young boy, he had convinced himself that would be how he would, quote, keep himself sexually pure until the wedding. And what happened was he, he was not interested in sex with his wife after, after they got married, which took him by surprise. He didn't expect that. And so there's a long story in there, but Angie says, until I came to the understanding that my resentment and bitterness toward him for his addiction was just as destructive and ugly and sinful in God's eyes as his addiction to pornography. She said that was the turning point for me in in my situation with that. So uh, that's kind of an aha moment for a lot of women that are struggling with that and the bitterness that comes from it. Good truth there. Rhonda, did we lose you? I'm here. Do you want me to keep going? I was like, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and finish our last two points here for making peace. Okay, okay. Seek godly counselors, and that is Titus two one through five. Um, that's really the reason the books that I write, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. If my husband would change, the next one coming out. Steve and I together have one coming out in 2018 called The Marriage Mentor. Um, it's just to, if you imagine if you had your own personal mentor. Uh, so books that are going to walk you through with a biblical perspective, as well as godly counselors and Titus two women. That's God's plan for training the next generation. And the last is learn to be a peacemaker. There's two ways 
that people respond, either flee or attack. Ask God to help you bring him glory by how you respond to conflict. Mm. Those are so great. And we are going to come right back. We have a last segment here. Don't go away. We're going to talk about strategies to help your marriage survive your kids' adolescent years, as well as where and how to look for help. We'll be right back. ever need a guest speaker or maybe you're a speaker who's available to go check out womenspeakers.com the largest online directory of christian women speakers in the world since 2002 connecting thousands of planners with over 1300 speakers speakers are available to you from every state denomination experience level and fee range you simply search when you have time anytime day or night and connect directly with the speakers that interest you no middlemen no hidden fees it's all simple easy enjoyable and online check it out today at womenspeakers.com that's www.womenspeakers.com Welcome back. Our hour is flying by with our guest today, Rhonda Soap of NoRegretsWoman.com. Rhonda, let's talk about strategies to help your marriage survive your kids' adolescent years. You know, I'm not sure what's what's harder, actually. You know, when they're little and you aren't getting any sleep and you're up to the night and you're exhausted and uh, th- those kind of demands are those unique demands. And then they hit the adolescent years where they want you to stay up late with them to talk and you know i mean it's just like wow it is it is tough all the way through but you've got your site set today on the adolescent years what do you want to share with us about that well and you said that they want to stay up and talk and then the flip side of that is they don't want to talk at all and you're worrying what's going through their minds and they won't talk about it yeah. and that anxiety about that, what they're struggling yeah. with that they won't reveal there's just so much that goes along with that and you know i think in the 18 years of youth ministry i watched uh, it's funny i watched it in two-year-olds and i watched it in 12 year olds <laughs> where they will start battling mom and dad against each other to get their way and I think yeah. we have to be very careful that your husband's not your enemy, that you are in this together. God's called you together in this ministry of parenting to raise up this next generation of young people. And the best way you can bring security to them is to have a united front. And it's easy to uh, take sides with your kids. My, my kids just did, my kids are all adults now, they just did some sort of a, of a personality test. I don't even know what it was, and I wasn't there to do it, but they did a personality test for mom. And they were all cracking up, and they said, Mom, you're a yellow. I'm like, what's a yellow? And they said, it's (laughs) fun, if it's not fun. And my oldest son-in-law, Jake, he says, what did he say? If it's not fun, Grandma, don't do it. (laughs) I'm like, yep, if it's not fun, Grandma, don't do it. (laughs) But that was kind of a little bit of a conflict for Steve Steve and I when we were raising our kids. And I didn't realize Mm -hmm. my bent is I want everything to be fun. Because I would try to figure out how I could let my kids do whatever it is their little hearts wanted to do because I wanted them to have fun. And I remember Steve saying, I don't care if they have fun. No, they can't go. Or, you know, I don't trust that kid's driving. Or, you know, and, and I'd be like, oh. And there were things like I, as a youth pastor, Steve had seen countless teenage drivers get in serious car accidents because of their lack of experience as drivers, not even, you know, drunk driving or alcohol, just being bad drivers. And I remember when my um, daughter Meredith, you know, she grew up in youth ministry. So from the time she was in junior high, she had a lot of uh, relationships with even the older girls in the youth group. And so they would want to go somewhere and they'd want her to ride with them. And Steve would say, no, because this car. And these girls were good girls. And I was like, they're going to go shopping or they're going to go this or that. Come on, it'd be fun. 
And we really struggled with that. But, you know, Meredith never knew that we were struggling about it because we struggled behind closed doors. And we just really discussed it wasn't, you know, you're not trying to be heard so that you get the last word in so you get your way. You really want to bring out the situation and discuss it in a way that's going to come to a resolve. Uh, what's best for the kid, basically, is what comes, comes down to it. And so when Steve finally said, if I give into this that you're pressing me, and, and something happens, and she's in a vehicle, and there's an accident, and she gets hurt. Are you going to be able to live with that? And I was like, nope. No, I won't. I won't. And, you know, if you have a husband in your home, if the father of your children is in your home, we have to realize God's called him to lead your family, and he's called us to pray for them to have wisdom. And, yes, to give our insight, to talk about things from a perspective, you know, as a woman's perspective, as a mom, sometimes we know the heart of our kids even better, but but in the end, it's their final decision that you want to be able to honor and say, I'm going, to, I, I'm going to honor that. Now, I remember when we lived on a lake, we lived in Austin, Texas. We had moved to Texas to plant a church. The kids lived in their bathing suits all the time. Like, we took our kids water skiing. That was just it was a super fun ministry, by the way. And when um, Meredith wanted to wear a two-piece swimsuit, my husband said no. And he said, you know what, my, I grew up not, he didn't have any sisters, he just had a brother, and he, but he grew up that girls wear one-piece swimsuits, and that's all there is to it, and I grew up completely on the other spectrum, it's like his parents were Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, and mine were Mr. and Mrs. Partridge, the Partridge family was completely different lives, <laughs> but I remember Meredith was walking with the Lord, she was telling her friends about Jesus at school, our youth group went from zero to 200 teenagers in one summer, and these kids were coming to Christ, and it was amazing, but I remember Steve was going to draw, you know, I want her to be an example, if she wears one-piece suits, then these kids will too, and I'm like, no, they won't, they've lived on the water, this, it's kind of, if, if they call it the third coast, if, it's, if you're on Lake Travis, um, so I said, you know what, I just have to say that I don't want to drive her heart toward rebellion. She's doing, living a life serving the Lord, and I don't want her, we don't hold her up for an example. Anyway, long story, she said, if you can take her shopping and she can come home in a modest two-piece, then I will allow her to wear that. So we went shopping and found some cute ones with some boy shorts or whatever. Now, some are listening right now, and they're saying, absolutely not. My daughter will only wear one piece. I get that. If it's God's conviction on your heart, you go with it. and Don't even be wavered by that. But in our situation, Steve went ahead and made that consent. And I, at looking back, he is glad that he, you know, kind of listened to voice of reason and from a woman's perspective, but it wasn't an argument. And it wasn't the first time I had the discussion with him that he said, okay, you can wear two pieces. And it wasn't me sneaking behind his back, buying her two pieces and saying, don't let your dad find out. Right. So those little things that you think, uh, you know, are not that big of a deal are the things that chip away at marriages. And a lot of times marriages end up in divorce over those issues. So when our kids are adolescents, we have to learn our spouse is not the enemy. Um, Disrespecting your husband in front of the kids will cause insecurity in them. Even if the kids are working you against each other so they can get their way, you still want to have those discussions behind closed doors. Um, and you don't want to disrespect their dad behind dad's back because you want to raise in your kids a respect for their father. And that even goes for if you are divorced. And I know that in a lot of divorce situations, the father is not a great guy. I, had, I know a, a woman who was amazing, and she raised some really great kids. And they, the kids didn't even know their dad had a drug problem. And she would have to let them go to visit their father 
and um, that was court ordered, and their kids were very little. And I remember she would just pray the whole time that they were gone, mm-hmm. and she never right. bashed the father. She would tell them, you know, I'm sorry that Dad let you watch that R-rated movie. That's something, you know, the Bible says that the man thinks it's in his heart, so is he. And our goal is a section in Moms Raising Sons called In Part the Vision. Our goal is to guide you toward a life where you don't have regrets, where you get to be the man that I know you want to be. So I know it's hard because it's your dad, but those are the things that we're trying to instill in you. Rather than just going, well, that jerk and calling him up on the phone and yelling at him in front of the kids. That, uh, and, and these children this woman raised love the Lord. They've married women that love the Lord, and they are serving the Lord with their lives. Uh, and the father never did make a change in his life. And at, at some point as men, the young boys realized this, the issues the father was dealing with. But it wasn't at the mom's bashing of the dad. Right, and I think that's really important to remember that what you're modeling here is what they're seeing. They're not hearing only your words. They're watching your life. They're watching, are you doing this out of love or out of bitterness? Are you doing this to take control or because you think it's the best choice for the kids? I mean, kids are kids are pretty intuitive, really, when, you know, they get into their teens. They can see through a lot. And just to be recognized that you are their role model at that point and always always in their whole life, even after they leave home, you still continue to be that mentor role model to them. But at the same time, during their adolescent years, you know, to go back to your purposes behind what you're doing, not just what you are doing. We are almost out of time, Rhonda. And I'm just going to close with this, that I hope that you guys um, will look to God always for wisdom and for help. There's so much, so much in the Bible. And I can't tell you how many times I've just let my Bible fall open and put my finger down when I have been serious. God just talked to me. And he is very faithful. He will bring a song on the radio or a word from a friend or a a phrase in a book that I'm reading. God is always going to speak to you when you are serious about listening to him and obeying him. So just keep running to Jesus. Rhonda, real quick here before we go, I'm going to give you about a minute and a half. Um, Over at noregretswoman.com, you have some resources for people. Can you tell us what they'll find when they go over there? Yes. If you go to noregretswoman.com and you sign up for my newsletter, I will um, keep you posted on uh, when my new books are going to be released and on magazine articles, I write for crosswalk.com and several other magazines and other radio programs that I'm on. But you can also go there and find my uh, Facebook page and my Twitter and all of the links there. So you can follow me on all of those. And really, I meet women all the time that are like, I just didn't, don't have any mentors. Or women that are my age that say, I don't know how to be a mentor. And that's God's mandate for us older ladies. So there's a lot of resources there, a lot of links to radio interviews that I have been on. I'll put this one on there. Uh, NoRegretsWoman.com, and um, I hope I hear from you. That's great. What's your favorite Bible verse? Well, I think it would have to be (laughs) Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. Mm. You know, I, when I started, I started memorizing 119, too. I hope you keep going. I got distracted and went and memorized something else instead after that. But but I remember it was about verse 24 or something. And so many of the verses in 119 are about the law of God's laws and his rules. Mm-hmm. And it changed my heart, just the part that I did memorize, because I recognized that these laws are all for our benefit. And I was thinking about it in, in light of um, this conversation we're having today. As a parent, when your kids grow up and become parents of their own children, will they look back and say, yeah, most of what she did was for her own benefit? Or will they look back and say, most of what she did was for me? 
That's the goal of a parent's heart. Rhonda, we've loved having you here. And you guys, thank you for coming. It's always such a delight to have you with us during the live program, as well as all of those who listen around the archives and at the syndicate stations. And for those of you who have a box on your own page and allow people to listen to this show on your website, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you again next time. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.